Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Uh, Jesus came to earth to help find people uh, who are far from him. The Bible calls them lost. These people are all of us. Every person listening online today is, is or was at some point lost, needing a Savior, needing to be saved. And through the story that we've been learning a lot about God and even more about ourselves, we see a beautiful picture of who God really is and how much we need Him in our lives. Last week, we looked at a story found in Luke chapter 15, and this week we're going to kind of end our time on this series with the last portion, uh, the last story, rather, uh, of the three. But last week, we, we saw in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to 3, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. All sorts of people had come to hear Jesus teach, and they were non-Christians. They were people who did not know God, people who were not followers of Jesus. And these people were interested in what Jesus had to say. And while there's some religious people starting, they started murmuring and they started judging Jesus for hanging out with such unholy, unchristian people, people who didn't look like them. And so we come down to three different groups of people in the story. We have, we have the religious judgmental people, people who had accepted God but lost focus on what matters. They weren't focused on a relationship with Jesus. They were focusing on how they could do good things in their lives to make God happy. And so their focus was more on the rule-keeping religion, religious perspective, than it was on just having a relationship with God. We have another group, a non-religious group, an unchurched group, a group of people who were not followers of God, but were definitely interested in what God was saying, what Jesus was all about. And lastly, our group was Jesus, God in flesh, and his followers, people who had accepted Jesus and were truly following after him. The disciple, or I'm sorry, the Pharisees came and were complaining that Jesus was spending too much time with these unbelievers, these unholy people. And so Jesus told a few stories. He he said, okay, well, let me tell you a story about a sheep, a shepherd who lost a sheep, and this one sheep was lost. And so he left the 99 in the safety of the open field, and he rushed his way over to the wilderness to run after this lost sheep. And when he found this lost sheep, he put him on his shoulders and carried him back over to uh, the flock and brought him back and called his friends and all the neighboring shepherds and said, let's have a party for I lost this sheep and now the sheep has been found. The second story Jesus told was about a a woman who had 10 very precious coins and she lost one of the coins and the lady turned her house upside down trying to find this lost coin until finally she found it. And then she called her neighbors over and she threw a party and she had a huge celebration for the lost coin was lost, but now it was found. Now Jesus is telling a third story. In this story, we see three different types of people. We see a son that left his father's house to live his own way. He got lost. He he wanted to do his own thing, go his own way. He wanted to live his own life. And so he found himself in a place where he was lost. Secondly, is a son who stayed in the house. 
He was angry and frustrated about his life. He was not lost. He knew the father. He lived in the father's house, but he was absolutely frustrated with his life and in fact felt as though he was in bondage to the father. And lastly, we have a father who loved them both and would give anything and do anything to get them both into the house again. I want to talk about the three people in this story. It's Jesus made up a story about a dad and his two sons. He's told this story from a vantage point that many others didn't have. Jesus knew a father like this father. We learn something in the story about our Heavenly Father. We learn something about God. We learn something about the character of God. We learn something about who our Father in Heaven really is. And Jesus, of all people, had the ability to tell a story about a loving Father who cared for both those in and outside of His house. Both sons actually wandered away in the story. So we're talking about two different people who've wandered away. One wandered out of his father's house. One wouldn't go into his father's house. And in this story, the father simply watched and waited for both sons to realize what they had and who they were in their father. And so in this story, these sons each had a growing gap that only their father could fill. This story of a loving father patiently waiting for his kids to come back to him. A father who waited and could only fill the, the, the deep hole, the deep gap in both of these sons' lives. So don't forget through this story that Jesus is teaching about his father. He's responding to us how he's telling the story about how his father would respond to his kids and how his kids should respond to his father. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the story together. We're going to start in verse 12, and I'm just going to give you some observations as we go along in the story. Verse 12 of Luke 15 says, The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So this son comes to his father and says, Hey, listen, Dad. I want my portion of the inheritance for when you die. He basically went to his dad and said, listen, dad, I don't want to live here anymore. I'm pretty much done. I want to leave. I also want my share of all the, the hard work you've put in. And since I normally have to wait until you die, can you give it to me before you die? Basically, I want the results of the hard work you've paid and the death that you will, that you will pay. I want the results of that now. This is crazy. The crazy part about this story is that the father agreed. That's what it says in verse 12. The father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. This is crazy. Know something about God. God will not force you to serve him. He will not force you to do anything. You have a free will. In Joshua 24, 15, it says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, hey, if serving God is undesirable to you, then listen, choose today who you're going to serve. You're going to serve God. Go serve someone else. But listen, you've got to make a decision that you are going to serve God. 
God does not force you to love him. God does not force you to be his follower. It's a decision that you make. So if we make a choice to not follow God, he isn't going to stop you. Now, will he encourage you? Will he woo you? Will he provide blessing to you? Would he care for you? Will he always be here for you? Will he try his best to provide as many opportunities for you to turn back to him? Of course he will, but God will never force you to follow him. And the father let his son take his inheritance and leave. As a father, I have a a 10-year-old or almost 10-year-old and a 7-year-old and knowing, I know what it would be like to watch my son or daughter make this bad decision and leave. It would be so hard knowing that that my kids are making the worst decision of their lives and all I can do is let them go and continue to love them. And that's what the Father does for us. There's times when, when I have to discipline my kids for making certain decisions. There's times when I know the decision they're going to make isn't a good one. Here's a kind of a dumb example, but when we were in San Francisco this last summer, uh, my daughter loves China and she loves LOL dolls. And we were in Chinatown in San Francisco and she found an LOL doll. And as you know, we're in China. So most of the stuff there was most likely made in China. And most likely some of the things were kind of knockoffs. You know, instead of Nike, it's Naki. Instead of Adidas, it's Adidas, you know. <laughs> instead of Puma, it's Pumi. You know, it's all these off brands that they sell. And my little nine-year-old daughter didn't really understand that. And so she found this LOL doll. And I knew that it was a version that was not legitimate and it was more expensive and so i told her honey if you just hold your money if you just wait i promise you you can actually get more like maybe even two lol dolls the right ones at the same price back at home if you just wait she had waited all year long and saved her money up all year long for this one moment and here she is and and about to buy this lil doll Ezra wanted a Lego set and this is like, you know, it's not Lego, it's Lago, you know, and these Legos were obviously overpriced and they were not the the real ones. They were off-brand ones. And I just tried to encourage them to wait it out. Just save your money. Just consider what you could get. But the crazy part is, as you know, they bought it anyways, and they got to the restaurant after we went there. We were sitting down, and they pull out their LOL dolls, and sure enough, the thing is this cheap plasticky thing. Lego 2 pulls it out. It's cheap plastic, and by the end of our time, our dinner time, the entire toy had broken. And it was a lesson learned where they learned, Dad, like, you were right. Like, I learned my lesson. It was hard It was hard for me to watch the money that my kids had earned go towards that. I knew it was a hard lesson for them to learn, but I had to let them experience that journey in order to learn a lesson. See, God does this. He allows this to happen in our life. Hebrews 12, 10, and 11 says, Our parents corrected us for a short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them. But God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us invitation to share in his holiness. Now, all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time, yet later it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. So God won't force you. And the father of this story gave him the inheritance and he let him go. Luke 15, 13 says, A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings, 
and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money, all his dad's money on wild living. He took his inheritance, he packed his bags, he left home, and he lived a wild life. He did all the things in this land, in the city that he couldn't do at home. He partied and he made friends and they saw how rich he was and they indulged in, 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 in his riches as well. And they partied and wild living, it says. They went bananas, they partied like crazy. They had such a great time. This boy didn't work for his inheritance. He didn't, it wasn't his, he didn't sacrifice for it. His father did, yet he took it. All that his father had given him, all that his father had sacrificed for, and he wasted it away on wild living. Verse 14 says, about this time, his money had ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. That phrase, uh, began to starve, is also the phrase to begin to be in want. His money ran out. Notice something very important. His father's money ran out. His father's blessing ran out. His father's uh, inheritance ran out. Think about it for a second. His father's blessing, his father's grace, his father's mercy carried him for a while. He had a blast. There was joy. There was satisfaction. There was bliss. He lived it up. But he didn't do this. Uh, he, he, He continued to to experience the blessing of his father. But he didn't do this on his own blessing. He did this on his father's blessing. But then it ran out. See, when we serve God or when we're close to God or, or, or when we've experienced God's blessing, we experience God's blessing. But when we turn from him, what happens is, is that we actually continue to experience what a blessed life looks like. But one day it comes where it goes to empty. It runs out and we feel lost and broken and distant from our father. It comes to an end. And I know every one of us have been in this place where we begin to live the life that we want to live. And then it comes to an end and we begin to feel lost and disconnected and broken broken and deeply unsatisfied. And the scripture says he began to starve. A great famine swept over the land. He began to be in want. There was a deep, deep hunger in this young man to satisfy his need. There was a deep spiritual state of famine. He was hungry. He was discontent. He was unsatisfied. That word phrasing to be in want literally means to fall behind in life, to, to, to fail, to reach the goal that I, that I set out to reach. It was this, this feeling of secondary. The word means secondary, not quite in the sweet spot of why I exist. There was a void of worth. My life was no longer an excellent life. The word implies the secondary life. I was living an alternative life to what I was intended to live. When I, I, I lose my inheritance and I spend it all, I, I lose all the attachment to my father. And now I'm no longer living like my father's son. I'm living like everybody else. I'm living like everybody else in this world. I now feel like I'm living a second rate life. I know, I know you've been to this place before. I mean, this is the place in life when you just feel like, man, why do I exist? And what's life all about? And why is it turning out like this? And why do I feel like relationships aren't working? And why do I feel like my finances are in disarray? And why do I feel like I can just never quite get on top of my life? I always feel like I'm behind in everything. 
Why do I feel like I'm living a second-rate life? Why do I feel disconnected? Why do I feel frustrated? Why do I feel lost? Why do I feel broken? This boy began to experience what it was like to no longer be in relationship with God. Well, verse 15 and 16 says, He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. So he started to feel lost and disconnected and, and secondary. And like he began to feel like disconnected. And so it says that he persuaded a local fire, uh, farmer to hire him. That word persuaded there actually means joined. It's the, the word means glued or cemented himself. So he threw himself into his work. He, he threw himself into the relationship with this employer. He, he threw himself into his work and into what he was doing. And it, he thought that maybe that would satisfy him. He gave himself to his career and he gave himself to his finances and he gave himself to his uh, income. And that became his identity. He was now defined by what he did, his job or his relationships or his work. He was now defined by how well he did as a performer in his job. He glued himself and invested himself into working for this local farmer. He forgot who he was. He forgot where he came from. And when he went to get a job with this local farmer, it said he was sent to work with the pigs. Now he's doing things he never, ever thought he would do. Now he's living a life he never, ever thought he would live. He, he never, ever thought he would do something like this. And you have to understand something about this story. This was a young Jewish boy. He, he was, uh, according to the, the, uh, the law of Moses, they were not allowed to even go anywhere near pork. They weren't supposed to eat pork or uh, touch anything uh, uh, pig-related. And now this young Jewish boy had to lower his standards and morals so low that he was willing to work in the pen of pigs, which was contrary to everything he had always learned about what it meant to be a young Jewish boy. At this point, the boy was so low in life and so low in identity that he would do anything to stay alive, anything to meet his small needs, anything to fill the blessed life again. He became so hungry and so distant and so broken that even the pods, that the, even the, the, the garbage that the pigs were eating seemed desirable to him. He was willing to eat even what these gross pigs would eat. And he had tried everything to satisfy him. This was the moment of rock this was when he knew something was wrong in his life. This is the moment when you've tried everything to satisfy you, everything to feel again, and you can't. This is the moment when even your relationships and your investments and your income and your job and your hobbies and everything in your life just feels like it's unsatisfactory, that it's not fulfilling you, that something is missing, you're broken, you're hurting. This is rock bottom. This is when you feel broken and hurting and lost and dejected and rejected and you lack identity and you lack meaning and you ask these existential questions like, what is life all about and why do I even exist and what am I supposed to do with my life? This was the rock bottom moment. I'm sure every one of you listening today have heard that have these moments of rock bottom where you found yourself 
doing anything just to feel, doing anything just to satisfy that deep, deep hole. That area of your heart and your mind and your life that is just deeply, deeply hollow. And we try to fill it with relationships and we try to fill it with addictive habits such as drugs or alcohol or pornography or sex or things like that. We try to fill this hole with, with our jobs. We try to fill it with hobbies. And we try to fill it with, with, with identities. We take on personas of certain types of individuals. We try to be like that person or act like this person. But maybe it'll bring me identity. But in reality, you've hit rock bottom. You've got nowhere to go and nothing else to do. And you're lost and you're broken and you don't know where to turn. And verse 17 says that when he finally came to his senses... He said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. He then realized, he came to himself. He had a recollection of the great life that even the slaves of his father's house had. He realized that his father's house, his father's blessing was better than that of the world and the world's things that, that promise identity and fill. Nothing could fill him like the father's blessing. Nothing could satisfy him quite like his father. He realized that he had everything with his father. This come to my senses moment happens all throughout the Bible. And it happens all throughout our lives. And the moments when the depths of our dissatisfaction with your life and with lack of understanding of why you exist. And you have this moment when you realize that your life may have more meaning than you thought. When you realize that the hole in your heart will never be permanently filled with anything other than your father. That is the moment when you realize there is a deep hole. Something is missing in my life. Ecclesiastes 3, 9 to 11. Solomon, the wisest man ever to live other than Jesus, wrote this. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Look at this. He has also set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Every human soul is given a God-given awareness that there is something more than this transient world. With that awareness of eternity comes a hope that we can one day find fulfillment not afforded by the vanities of this world. This refers to God's placing an eternal longing or a sense of eternity in the human heart. And we have a sense of eternity in our lives. We possess an innate knowledge that there is something more to life than what we can see and experience in the here and in the now. And there is more. And every one of us has a deep desire in us to accomplish that more. That eternity, that hollow uh, circle in our, in our hearts and our lives is only filled by a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only filled by a relationship with our Father. And so this boy said in verse 18 and 19, I'm going to go home to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you, both heaven and heaven and you, and I'll no longer be worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go, go home to my father and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, write this letter to him. Okay, dad, I want you to know that I really screwed up and, you know, really, you know, you probably shouldn't have given me that money. Oh no, scratch that out. No, no, no. You know, let's start again. Okay. Hey dad, like, you you know, I found that being far from you and being distant from you hasn't been great. And you know, whatever, big deal. Can I come home? I don't deserve to be your son. No, 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 no. Scratch it out. Okay, Dad, I made a mistake. I, I, I've, I've failed. I've, I've sinned. I've fallen short. I feel distant. I feel disconnected. 
and I'm sorry. I don't even deserve to be your son. I'm so brutally lost. Just make me, can I just get a job for you? Can I just work for you? Can I just be a servant? See, what well, maybe you don't realize as you listen to this is that you already had a relationship with God. God designed you to have a relationship with him. You were created in the very image of God, but many, many years ago, a man named Adam and Eve, uh, a man and a woman named Adam and Eve sinned and fell short of, of God's glory and they ate of a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we were separated from, from God at that moment. Uh, and at that very second, we were what we were intended to be in great relationship with God. Now we fell away from God because of the sinful nature that is in us. But Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to reconcile us back into relationship with him, back into friendship with him, back into the place that God intended us to be in the first place. And so you might be saying, Ryan, when did I fall away from God? I don't understand what you're saying. Listen, when, when, when you were born into this planet, you were born into this world, you were born into a sinful nature, born into a fallen world, and Jesus Christ restores you back into relationship with God. Once the son realized he was no longer happy with his life outside of his father's house, his response was to return. That phrase, I will return, in, in actually is the word repent. It's in verse 10, it means to change one's mind completely. It doesn't just mean to say, I'm sorry. It means to change the direction of my life completely in my thinking, in my behaving, in how I live my life. Now this young boy's heart was to return. He wanted to make it right. His heart was to turn toward his father. And he wants to make this statement to his dad. He probably wrote this letter 20 times. He kept rewriting it until he got it just right. And he prepares a statement. I'm a screw up and I, I really did a number on our relationship and I don't deserve it. And so he returned home to his father in verse 20 and 21. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He starts going into his cold monologue about how terrible a person he is. And in verse 20 to 21 and 22 to 24, it says, and while he was still a long way off, he hadn't even gotten there yet. He hadn't even begun to tell his dad about how bad of a person he was. His father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced his son and kissed his son. It says his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. We see a little process here that when the father saw his son, it said he had compassion on him. That word compassion there is literally to be moved in the area of your bowels. Like the depths of the father's bowels were hurting. His stomach was aching when he saw his son and he didn't even let him speak. He ran to him. He runs to you. He is already committed to you. He's already committed to your heart. He's already committed to your life. And it does not matter what you've done, how you've wasted it, what you've done with what he's given you. It doesn't matter. The father runs to you and wants relationship with you. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because he first loved us. He wants to restore you. He wants to kiss you. He wants to reach out and hug you and embrace you and touch you. Remember this. 
This boy worked in the pig pen. This boy was covered from head to toe probably, smelled like pig and had pig mud all over him. And he, he, he was living a, a disgusting life for a Jewish boy. And yet when he came to his father, his father embraced him. His father hugged him and kissed him. It didn't matter what he had been into. It didn't matter what he had done. His father was wanting to love, accept, and forgive him. And he said, my son, he wants to speak life to you. He doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to love you. Despite where you've gone, despite what you've done, nothing you can do can disqualify you from being his son and daughter. He says, my son, my daughter, you're not a servant. You're my son. He put a ring and sandal on his hands. He wants to show you who you are and restore you to the place where you were intended to be. He wants to attach high value to you. And he put a robe around him. And he says, I want to show you your future. I want to put the best coat. This is the first in rank, the finest in the house. This is what you are found, not lost. You want a failure. You're successful. You're not a screw up. No way. You're my son. You're my daughter. And then he got the fattened calf and he threw a party. This wasn't a sad moment. This wasn't a moment of regret. This wasn't a moment of shame. This wasn't a moment of guilt. This wasn't a moment of condemnation or, 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 or the father coming down on the son. He got the, the, the choice fattened calf and he began to party. They did this for weddings and birthdays and celebrations. The father used the fattened calf on his lost sinful uh, son who did not deserve any of it. This wasn't a groveling moment. It wasn't a sad moment. It was a happy celebratory moment. And this is what the Father wants to do for those of you listening today that have fallen away from God or maybe you don't even know you were supposed to have a relationship with God. Listen, today, there's nothing you have to do except return. Have a coming to senses moment where you realize, my gosh, I, I, I've come to my rock bottom. There's a hole in my heart. Nothing I've tried it fulfills me. And I'm going to try to go back to my relationship with God. The second son here today, as we take the last few moments here to talk about him, for those listening, maybe are followers of God and, and, and you're followers of Jesus and and maybe you don't relate necessarily to the prodigal son. Maybe you feel like, man, I've been a Christian. I've been in the house. I've served for a long time. Luke 15, 25, 27. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We were celebrating because of his safe return. So where was this older brother? He was out in the field working for his father. This means that him and his father were on decent terms and his heart was truly to do the things his father asked of him. And in verse 28 shows the father's or the son, the older son's true heart. The older brother was angry and he would not go into his father's house. The father came out and begged him. He replied, all these years I've slaved for you. That word slave there in the Greek actually means to be in bondage. To, to be enslaved to you. To be in bondage to you. I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And all this time you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet with this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf? When this boy saw that he was celebrating this lost brother, it made him angry. 
It provoked him to a place of frustration. It was an irritation there. This is a young man. He loves his father. He does good things for his father. He lives a moral life. He's a good person. But deep down, something in this boy's life, something has frustrated him. He feels like he's in bondage to his father. He feels like he's in forced labor. This is something inside him that he's no longer excited to do it any longer. He feels like he's doing it because he has to, because he's forced to. He doesn't know what else to do, and he's frustrated. You've never given me anything, he says. I've been working and working and working to do good and to be good and to work with a good heart. You've never celebrated with me like that. You've never rewarded me like that. As I studied this verse, and I really felt like I needed to share this, I felt like God just dropped something on my heart. That I believe that there's a deep-seated frustration and anger found in many moral, God-loving people today. Maybe these are people who used to go to church and now are upset because the church did a number on them. Or people who once followed God. And, and you say, I, I know God and I, I, I believe in God and I'm a follower of God on some level, but I'm never going into church again. Or, or I'm never going to put myself in a situation where I'm going to get hurt like that again. There is frustration. There is bitterness. There is pain. And I like to identify that this deep frustration is in many people, especially in religious people, especially in Christians. You see, I've slaved for you and I've obeyed you and I've I've, I've always gone to church and I've always given my money and I've always volunteered and I've always gone to the prayer meetings and I've always followed you, but I am frustrated with my physical, external life. I'm facing challenges. My finances are in disarray. My relationships are out of sorts. I feel like all my life is frustrating. Why am I not experiencing the blessings that I know I should have in my life? Why do I feel so frustrated? I look at Instagram and I look at all the other people and I am so deeply frustrated. I look at how good their lives are. They don't even serve God and their lives are better than mine. I don't, they don't even serve God and they've got a, 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 they're in a marriage relationship. They don't even serve God and they're driving the nice cars and have the nice stuff. Why is it that I've been serving you for all these years and I am, I, I'm not blessed. I don't have what they have. I don't, I, I don't get to do what they get to do. There's a deep-seated, deep frustration in many people who are followers of God because they had an idea of what their life should look like and it hasn't turned out like they hoped that it would. Looks like others are happier than me and others are doing better than me and other businesses are more successful than mine and marriages look perfect. I'm stuck here being this good person when I wanted that promotion and John, who's not even a Christian, doesn't even follow God, got the promotion. This deep-seated frustration, this deep-seated anger, this deep-seated dissatisfaction with life. And I want to encourage you today in verse 31 and 32, and you may know where I'm going with this, but it says, His father said to him, Look, dear son, my son, you've always stayed by me, and everything that I have is yours. 
You have my love. You have my acceptance. You have my identity. You have my future. Take a moment and just consider your life and look at the, the car you drive or the house you live in or the relationships you have or the fact that maybe you, you're healthy or, 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 or look, take a step back for a moment and look at your life and ask yourself the question, are you blessed? Everything God has is yours. He wants to bless your finances. He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless your life. He wants to bless your heart. But the difference between this older brother and, and someone who, who is living the life that God wants for them is that they're doing it because they are so in love with their dad. They're not doing it begrudgingly. They're not doing it compulsory. They're not doing it because they have to do it. They're doing it because they were reminded that everything that I have in my life is a blessing from my Father. Everything God has is mine. Every financial blessing that satisfies my needs is mine. Every relational tool I need to have a better marriage is mine. Every uh, relational opportunity is mine. Every single joy and peace and life is already provided to me. It's already in my possession. It's already mine. The Father wants to give all of these things to you, and He wants to silence this deep, deep frustration. This deep frustration in you that there's got to be more than this. My prayer is that you'd be able to come to your senses just like the prodigal son did, just like the other son did, and realize that, man, life in my father's house truly is better than living without my dad. And yeah, my job might not be perfect, and yeah, it might be frustrating, but man, God gave me this job. And yeah, my relationship with my wife or my husband might not be perfect, and most likely it's not, but man, she or he is a gift from God, and I'm going to recognize that God has already given me this person to offset me and to balance me and to bless me. Yeah, I might not be rich, and I might not live in the nicest house, or I might not have the fanciest car, but God has always provided for all of my needs. Man, being in my dad's house is so much better than being on my own. And man, I just need to come back to the place where I am madly in love with my dad, where I'm in love with Jesus, where I'm in love with my father, where I recognize that everything I have is because of God in the first place. He wants to run after you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to speak life to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to shower his blessings on your life. He wants to give you inheritance. He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless your finances. God the Father wants to bless his children. And so we see in the story that these three people, the son who went his own way, fell from God, fell from his father, recognized that, oh my gosh, I have reached bottom and I need my father. And this other brother who said, man, I've never left the father, but I've lost perspective. I focused on what my life could be or what I don't have and haven't even realized that in my dad's house, I actually have everything I've ever needed or wanted. Lastly, we have the character of the father. He loved both of these sons exactly where they were at, no matter what they had done, no matter where they had been, the Father embraces you, He runs to you, and He loves you. As we end our time, let me just pray. 
Lord, I want to say thank you for, firstly, how good of a dad you are. How when we run astray, when we are at our bottom, when we run from you, God, you are always, always looking and searching for us. Even when Adam and Eve sinned, God, you walked in the cool of the day and you searched for them by saying, where are you, God? And yes, they were hiding and yes, they were in shame and yes, they were in guilt and they were hiding from you, Father. You still search for them and the same is true today, God. You are searching for your people. You are searching for your sons and daughters saying, where are you? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. Where are you? Come back home. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I pray that we would recognize that as people who have been following God and people who haven't, the Father's grace, God's grace, the grace of Jesus Christ is unconditional. We cannot measure its depth, its height, its width. And Father, I pray you'd help us to understand that. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.